You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Say it. Give me a break, Jay, Jason, Jason Creed. You see how it feels to have a camera shoved in your face? To have to answer stupid questions when people are dying all around you? You see how it feels? Deb, just put the thing down and tell me what happened. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sounds are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise. One movie at a time. We're also a part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me as Thrasher. In a war, killing comes easy. And Alex. Dear Diary, I'm dead. And we're talking about the fifth out of six films in the Romero um, zombie Night of the Living Dead sextet. The fifth film, Diary of the Dead. Oh, dear, because I watched the 1976 neo-noir by Arvin Brown, so I feel like I'm going to be left out. <laughs> oh, boy. That's right. You were That's, probably uh, watching a better movie. <laughs> I, I would say almost certainly watching a better movie. I mean, you know, this had a premiere in 2007, I think, at the Toronto International Film Festival at TIFF, and uh, was in theaters, got a very limited theatrical release. February 15th, 2008. This is written and directed by George A. Romero, like like the other pictures. And um, it was released with the uh, through the Weinstein Company. It's worth mentioning. And the last one, Land of the Dead, was through Universal. So um, despite all of that, what do you think the opening uh, box office gross for this was domestically? Hmm. See, uh, Land of the Dead was higher than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but that movie was kind of good. This one, <laughs> we're gonna go. Oh, geez. Um, I'm just gonna look up Land of the Dead real quick. Oh, give me. Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead. I think might have been like a top five movie that weekend, perhaps. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, 18 million. Okay, Thrasher. I I have to recuse myself because just as you asked that question, I was looking at the box office. Yeah. Um. So, the, the Weinstein Company through Third Rail, they were the production company, and they released it through Third Rail Releasing, which I've never heard of before. And, you know, yeah. it's kind of a smaller outfit. It in the United States only premiered uh, in 42 theaters. It made two hundred seventy-five thousand uh, dollars, and uh, placed number thirty-two in the box office. 32. Opening weekend, but I, I was part of that two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. This is the only Living Dead film I've had the pleasure of seeing in the theater. I don't know if pleasure is the right word for this. <laughs> and um, it, you know, so that weekend was another opening weekend for such movies as In Bruges, which is a pretty good um, independent action feature. And uh, the number one movie that weekend was Jumper, followed by The Spider Chronicles and Step Up to the Streets. That's so, not the toughest competition. Um, no, but it only had, you know, 400-something theaters nationwide as opposed to right. Land of the Dead opened up in a few thousand theaters. You know, had a real, had Universal, right? So a big uh, yeah. muscle behind its release. And, um, yeah, I saw this February 2008. I had just moved out to Portland in July of 2006. So, you know, I hadn't even been here quite two years yet. Saw it with my friend Eric. And um, the theater was not crowded. And this whole shaky cam thing, which I think was pretty played out by the time this movie came out in 2008. You know, you had Blair Witch Project in 99. This one, uh, if I see the shaky cam on a theater screen, I get a bit nauseous. But I'm fine watching it on a phone or on a television. It doesn't bother me quite as much. Right, yeah. The the, the large screen can kind of throw you off. And um yeah, definitely by 2000, 2008, uh, the, the shaky found footage cam thing was getting pretty old. And I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> okay. Because, like, we, you, had, you had Blair Witch Project, and you had Blair Witch Project sequel, which was not a found footage movie. 
The found right. footage horror craze did not kick off until 2007 with Paranormal Activity and with mm. Cloverfield the following year. I'm going to posit that Diary okay. of the Dead is ahead of the curve. Yeah, I guess um, if you we can differentiate between found footage and shaky cam. True. Yeah. And I mean, of There's course, some... handheld camera was in film before Blair Witch Project. But uh, a- anyhow, you know, this movie, Land of the Dead, had a budget of, let's say, $20 million. I'm just going off of box office mojo estimates. This one had a budget of like $2 million, right? So, uh, <laughs> and it was... I believe filmed in Canada, or at least uses a lot of Canadian actors. Uh, and uh, as, as the poster says, where will you be when the end begins? Uh, apparently Romero says this occurs in the same universe of the original trilogy, but I guess it's like a second wave of zombie stuff going on. It, it couldn't possibly be a second wave because they would know about it. I know that it, it, like everyone seems so clueless as to what's going on, but if thirty yeah. years before the exact same thing has happened, I'm sure it would have been. Oh yeah, it's like what we learned about in high school. Right. That's a good and point. This is another thing, another like uh, source of contention I have throughout this movie is that it has it's got a very inconsistent timeline. So if this is all part of the previous world, this is a world that we're you know, uh, you know, not smartphones, but you know, cell phones and internet and you know digital photography and you know all this stuff exists and then if you're going off so this almost feels like like the next generation almost like well in my head i can mm. fudge things and imagine this movie taking place concurrently with the other films right. it's just that this is the only time where i have to make some mental effort to imagine it happening concurrently um yeah but this but this movie but this movie being so very much of its time with the the phone and video technology this this movie takes this movie has the same problem that a lot of modern zombie media has which that which is that all these characters should have seen night of the living dead so exactly. in the, we have to imagine that in this movie not only does john romero and his films not exist but all the ripoffs don't exist as well. Right. There's no Return of the Living Dead. There's no, you know, White Zombie. There's no nothing. There's um, no Simpsons episode uh, where the yeah, people come back. Exactly. To <laughs> um, In addition, I mean, I'm I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the the video. I mean, of course, the big thing is about viewing things through a camera as opposed to seeing it in real life. And but you didn't really have smartphones like they are today. Yes, you had cell phones that could film video. That looked like shit, and you see some of that in this movie—the the, the kind of razors or whatever, where the the top flips up. It's about the size of a pack of cigarettes. Um, you also have the these video cameras that are that are still somewhat bulky. He, he's not using stuff from Best Buy or anything, but it doesn't look much better. Yeah, there. And uh... and MySpace is featured prominently in a scene in the film, which immediately dates it. I think it's it's tough to ignore that when you're doing a movie about technology unless you make up something and call it like zombie space (laughs) oh the other thing was that i thought the what'd you guys think of the opening i thought the opening was kind of strong with Mm -hmm. it starts with you know the um cameraman being like holy shit what's going on behind you you know and the anchor's like what am i not in frame then you know you see the body starting to wriggle and, and and squirm around and you're like oh that's really freaky and then it zooms in on the undead dude and it looks horrible like it's like oh cool tomb raider too like it does not look mm-hmm. good well, well greg nicotero that... did the uh, did the makeup effects which surprised me i thought like did they have like shecky spielberg like helping the movie because <laughs> it's it's uh i mean i know this is low budget this has kind of the desaturated look that was very common in the mid aughts I, I guess you would say you know like the yeah. 2005 2010 era but this is this is not Land of the Dead. I think had some good use of like saturated greens and reds. And this one just just looks like it was run through a toilet. I mean, it just looks bland as hell. I the acting, yeah. everything. It feels like you're you're playing a bad '90s full motion video adventure game where someone's looking, or like Mad Dog McCree, where someone's looking <laughs> at the camera, like, oh, there's zombies coming. Can you shoot them? I know it's Thrasher. <laughs> you're gonna say something? Well, that that whole intro. Overall, like as a scene, I think that intro is really good, uh, and it introduces some ideas and it sets a tone. 
but then that intro has nothing to do with the rest of the film. It is so mm-hmm. isolated from the rest of the film. And then when later, about halfway through, the characters find that same exact news report, which only it, which only makes it look faker, I, I have to say. Yes. I feel like like you you should only be seeing a ver- seeing that once and you should probably only be seeing it when the characters see it uh just to kind of deal with the themes of who's watching what uh within this movie but the other the other thing is w- w- with the focus that scene got i was waiting for it to turn out that that scene was faked hmm. that, like that was something shot for a movie or for a project or something right that someone was trying to pass off as real evidence of zombies. Yeah. Um, there was one point where they're in the warehouse where they're in like the, the, the safe house or whatever. And isn't there a scene where the newscast is like, they find out that the news is they're like doctoring footage. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah, the, but it well, wasn't that only footage, right? footage, the news readers are reading these false statements that contradict stuff that they themselves have experienced. It was so fast. I couldn't quite <clears throat> tell that. I mean, I do think it's cute in, this movie is so I have a few different minds about it because anytime it does these single vignettes whether it's the opening or or the very ending or you have one about like a, an old family that's keeping their their kids alive who are zombies I think those work okay but the overall plot I I think is is very weak well, I think this movie wants to be a web series. It is so episodic, and mm. the, the individual scenes are so self-contained. Good point. If this was like a, if this was a thing on YouTube, which didn't exist at the time, they That's even right. reference it, yeah. where like a five to ten minute segment was released, maybe every week or so, as if it was a as if it was a video log being uploaded by the characters, as the characters themselves are doing in the movie. I think this would work pretty well and it would probably be more powerful than all these things done as just one movie. I do have and to also, call I have to call bullshit on on one thing you were talking about where they're watching on the computer footage of, of the news where it's doctored. This is really nitpicking, but the quality of the video on the computer of the news broadcast is way too high to what it would have been in <laughs> right. uh 2008. And I mean, it, you, you had YouTube, as you said, it wasn't back in the, the ye old days of real player or whatever you had for streaming video, <laughs> but it is, um, it, it looks really crisp. It has like these high definition kind of edit things. It would have looked like very pixelated and high definition TVs while you had them in 2008, they were pretty rare and still pretty expensive. Also, back then, like my MacBook G4, I remember still didn't have the streaming capacity to play like Netflix or Hulu streaming. Like I had to get mm, a mm-hmm. MacBook to play those things. If uh, you want to hit a rewatch, if you want a time capsule of uh, how yes, it yeah. was back then. And also, like you said, Thrasher, with the web series thing, I feel like if you had like concentrated vignettes of like this internet found footage stuff, it might have actually played. Whereas like the whole framing device of Diary of the Dead doesn't really play into anything because this I, I, this whole time I felt like I was watching the movie within the movie, which is uh, the death of dying. The kids called it. Oh, the, the death yeah. of death. Yeah. The death of death. Yeah. And I felt Awful like I was title. watching that before I was watching. <laughs> yeah. Before I was watching Diary of the Dead, and that is a terrible title. Yeah. It is the kind of title that I guess like a you know twenty year old student would think of. And, and Romero's <laughs> trying to do some sort of hip things, I think, in, in the beginning that that sort of. You know that are kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, nudge, nudge, where the film the young students are making is just like the beginning of Night of the Living Dead, except right. instead of a zombie, it looks like a mummy, and then you have kind of a throwaway line of dialogue that that almost feels like something out of Clerks, where it's like the the girl that's from Texas is like, why do these women wear these uh, dresses and their tits always pop out when they fall out, and then later in the movie she's wearing that same dress because uh, they don't have a lot of clothes, I guess. And right. she falls down and she gets up and her tits pop out. Yeah, and that's just felt lazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's Chekhov's breasts. Well, you know, yeah. what it, you know what it is? Just like it's another like one change that I think would uplift this movie. So web series is one thing. But the other is, I think this movie wants to be a comedy. Like if this was a mm. comedy, if this was a comedy about film students who were obsessed with Romero-style movies who were then yeah. had to deal with real zombies... 
and tried to apply movie logic to to a monstrous series of events. That could be really funny, but it's not. There's just like that moment that comes back at the end of the movie. Although right. that's, I think one thing the movie gets right, though, that the fact that the monster's a, a, a mummy, if this is a world where Romero and his movies never existed and you were filming that kind of movie, the mummy is the closest thing you would get to a zombie. I guess, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it's a slow, lumbering monster that in, yeah. inevitably gets you. In the dialogue, um, in the beginning, you also have a reference where it's kind of taking the piss out of the Zack Snyder remake of uh, Dawn of the Dead, where they're like, oh, yeah, zombies wouldn't move fast because if they did, they their ankles would yeah. break off. Well, did, did when did that come out? Oh, quite Dawn. a while. I mean, 2002, 2004? maybe? No, uh, 2002, 2003, I think. Actually, it's sitting right here on my shelf. <laughs> 2000 and... Oh. It is four. Four. Is yeah. it? Okay, 2004. So. Because I, uh, I actually watched it uh, a couple weeks ago. My, I got it for a uh, present from the old GF and uh, nice. watched it. And I, I like Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I'm not a big Zack Snyder fan, but I think there's a lot of fun stuff that stands out in the movie. And also, it's like, if you're going to have this huge contention with fast zombies, I mean, like, yeah, if you rise from the grave, your shin bones would probably break. But, like, if you're freshly gnawed on and you turn within a couple hours, you know, you can still you know, well, a little let's limber. Just, let's just remember that zombies have been able to run since the early 80s with Return of the Living Dead. So that was not the yeah. innovation so many people mm, said it was. And a lot of them can talk, too. <laughs> sure. And... I'm going to talk about these characters for a second though go on um, right they're, they're a group of like people making the short film and you have uh well, they're, they're film students with their yeah. traveling with their professor yeah I, the professor i actually like that character me too but i do feel like uh that he could have been a giles if that if you know what mm -hmm. i mean like he could have been way cooler he could have given him just like a throwaway line where like you know he's handy with a bow he could have been like ah oh, you know the queen's army showed me how to do this or something like that just like a little context backline to give him a little more dimension would have been nice but i did like his character though despite well, he well really the only background we get on him is that he's british and he makes reference to having been in the war but we don't That's we right. never learn what that war was i would presume not world war 2 cuz he doesn't seem quite the right age yeah, to have also, been in World War II, so I guess I can only assume that means like like Vietnam or some like police action, maybe Korea. I don't know. Or maybe you know he is British, so a lot of colonization there. So maybe like Grenada or you know somewhere in South Africa or something. But and his, um, his accent, I thought was good. The actor is actually uh, an American who immigrated to oh, Canada in the mid '80s. Not bad. Oh, then who who knows? He could he could have been in Vietnam then. Um, yeah. But anyway, so these so these characters, all these these film students, I just want to bring something up. These are these are their names: Deborah Moynihan, Jason Creed, Tony Ravello, Tracy Truman, Elliot Stone, Andrew Maxwell, Ridley uh, Wilmot, Mary Dexter. These are not the names of real people. These are the names you put on your fake ID. Yeah, right. It's. And the, these characters, we sort of hinted at it earlier, are very slight. There's... Oh, yeah. If they have any dialogue, like... I, I, I don't know what... Romero can write some really good things, whether it's a Stephen King adaptation or even, you know, the earlier Living Dead films. But here, I don't know if he was on holiday or what was happening, but, like, you have this line night that just made me, like, cringe, made me turn around and, like, throw a pillow across the room. I usually don't get that upset... <laughs> But it's I suppose annoying. pillow throwing is not that upset at all, but like it's it, it was a line late in the movie where they're they're kind of going to this house. They want to check it out, stretch their legs, use the bathroom. And someone's like, oh, maybe your baby brother is maybe your younger brother is there. Maybe he has a PlayStation. And then and then the, the <laughs> professor's like, maybe your parents are there. Perhaps I can they can make me a drink. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> the PlayStation line was like it, it was like, you know, like your your parents trying to be cool it's like maybe they have a game station you know and a skateboard right um, and, th and then at the end there's a line speaking of video games where the main character deborah uh, played by michelle morgan says like we can just lock ourselves up in the safe room and play nintendo till this is all over <laughs> <laughs> I don't, to, to be fair i would have probably used the phrase play nintendo around 2007 2008 <laughs> i think that is when the gamecube came out right 
No, he had the oh. Wii by that time. Oh, yeah, okay. Which was huge. Um, and they had zombie games for the Wii, like, oh, uh, right. you know, they, they did the, the two Resident Evil titles that were kind of like uh, light gun shooters. You had some House of the Dead ports. Uh, that's right. Both of which had I... several movies by the time this one came out. Oh, yeah. And I remember you were saying, like, uh, you know, there could have been room for, like, this almost kind of felt like it was trying to be a comedy. Mm. And you've got a bunch of uh, teenagers and a professor that's, like, hitting the road during, you know, a uh, zombie pandemic. That's perfect comedy room right there and they're neither interesting nor funny or really anything um i forgot all the characters names uh and Mm -hmm. a lot of the dialogue was just like what's going on why are they doing this is he dead or alive it was just well i think what it is i think the professor is the only character that has an inner life i mean he clearly is dealing with baggage from his own military service uh he is he is an alcoholic although they hit the they they hit the alcoholic nail so hard it almost comes Mm -hmm. off more as an affectation and not something that the character sort of has to struggle with or is a big part of their identity but then all the other characters are really just kind of affectations like mary dexter her stick is she's Catholic. The girl from Texas. Right. Her stick is she's Texas, and her accent <laughs> appears and disappears throughout the film. The it's guy doing the movie either. is obsessed yeah. with yeah. filming everything. I know. I forgot about the the Texas thing until you brought it up, actually, because it was really that inconsistent. Like when she would when it would pop up, I thought she was maybe like joking around or something. Like, yeah, what are yeah. y'all doing? You know what I mean? I thought she was like ma- doing a southern impression because she was like aping like a redneck or something. It was just really clunky. Um, one bit of business I did like, though, was the Amish dude. Yes. Yeah. I want a movie I, just about Samuel. The, yeah, the he deaf was kind of Amish man with dynamite. <laughs> yeah, because you think he's going to be like, oh, turning butter or something. And then, you know, <laughs> he's got the dynamite. And it's a really great introduction because you see all the debris land on him. He's got the little bars. He's like, hi, I'm Samuel. <laughs> Again, that's perfect comedic scene. But no, that there are so many interesting characters that enter this movie and then disappear very quickly. Although in his case, he impales his own head on a scythe because a zombie has bitten him, and he gets the zombie too. But like, yeah, awful. that that just added a that was added just sort of a really neat dynamic. And I just I love the irony that the whole re- is is that their the fuel line of their Winnebago is damaged. So to fix their Winnebago. They've they got to go to an Amish barn. <laughs> uh, there, there's just some wonderful irony behind them trying to fix a piece of technology, but then needing to interact with a guy uh, from a society that doesn't really deal with with high tech stuff. Uh, yeah, it was just it was just it was great. And then and then he dies really quickly. And I think that's I think that hurts the movie. Like if he had hung around mm-hmm. for like a scene or two. Like if he decides, like you know, if he writes down on his chalkboard, not it's not safe here. Can I go with you? And like he was there for one or two of the later scenes. That would have add, added a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, and I almost like I wish when they make the pit stop, they like I feel like they could do like an Oregon Trail in reverse, like you know, sh- like trade three of these student characters for one cool Amish character. <laughs> um, <laughs> And also, did any guys maybe think that might have been like a reference to the Snyder Dawn of the Dead? Because remember when they're on the mall, they have the gun store guy and they communicate through like a marker board. It may have been. But the, I guess the the chalkboard being deaf makes it is also just a good frame is a good, you know, gag in and of itself. Um, But yeah, like the characters you encounter are so much more interesting than the actual characters like if this was like one person hitting the road, like say it's like the professor and one other kid. And then they get someone from like the militia group. They get the Amish dude. Like that would be a good Romero style, like, you know, ragamuffin band of uh, wanderers. But instead we just are stuck with these kids and they suck. <laughs> well, that was, that was the, the, like later on when they find that they they find this uh, town where, uh, where like the, the, the local African-American community has consolidated all these resources and and you know the, and the whole backstory is all the white people fled this neighborhood the black people didn't and now like the black people are in charge and and have all the resources and like that i thought was a really really cool really powerful scene and like that that whole stretch of the film you could just excise that and i think it would be a perfect a perfect short film and i love kind of like the way it ends where they're like well can we get some fuel food and ammo from you and and you know there's like this tension builds 
But then it, it, it just ends on that note of how, well, you know what? In the darkest of times, it is better it is better to help each other than to be in competition with each other. So they do get the supplies they want. They drive off. But, of course, those supplies are then immediately stolen by this National Guard group that is just that is just that have turned into raiders yeah and like they set it up um there's a really good line too when they're in the uh, warehouse or one of the um black dudes says you know for the first time in our lives we've got the power and i was like that's good ramiro mm-hmm. stuff that's good con- uh, you know allegory also two things really quick one the national guard will be seeing them again next week in survival of the dead Oh, my. And uh, around the, that same note, uh, George A. Romero, he felt uh, invigorated making this movie. And he wanted to do like two or three spinoffs. Uh, he only got to do Survival of the Dead as the one that kind of followed different characters in this movie that they met along the way on their own movie. And one of them would have been the uh, the black group uh, that had all the supplies and the, the gasoline and stuff. There's supposed to be a movie focusing on them. There's supposed to be a movie on them. And I mean, this movie, even though it didn't get much of a play in theaters off a budget of two million, it made five million, which eh, that's not that's okay. But on video, it did very strong. And, you know, it cost next to nothing. And and horror films uh, often turn some kind of a profit because uh, horror fans will, will watch anything, it seems like. So it that. In a way, this almost feels like uh, you mentioned the web series thing. It also kind of feels like a backdoor pilot. Like, let's see which of these vignettes people respond to, and then maybe we can make a spin-off movie or a spin-off right. series on them. Well, I think uh, that's that's another bit of of I guess baggage might not be the right word, but something that holds this movie back is that it continually suggests a more interesting movie going on. Like yes, when the National yeah. Guard, when the rogue National Guard people steal all their stuff. Um, except their weapons inexplicably, I still don't quite understand them. Well, I'll talk to you. I'll talk about that later. Is this, is that the, um, is that the national guard drives away in the direction that, that the filmmakers just went from. That means they're going to, that means they're going to hit the African-American community that has all the supplies. Oh my God. I want to see the movie where, where that community has to deal yeah. with these national guard. Mm-hmm. Folks. Thank you. That's like the movie that, right. That would be, that would be awesome. Or maybe like maybe someone says like, hey, let's go back and get our shit back or something like that, um, which would be a terrible idea because they don't look like they're very uh, proficient defending themselves. But there's a line where after they jack them for their shit and the professor's like, they're we'd say they're soldiers, they're not thieves. Basically, kind of like saying like, almost like almost implying that like he had done something like that maybe in his past or something like that, or he'd seen it happen, you know, where he's often whatever you know in his past because he was a soldier of some kind um but yeah like uh, this is another suggestion of uh of a more interesting movie that we're not getting um which is too bad and also yeah. it's just you want to get away from these characters or at least see them engage in something that's somewhat interesting yeah i could only I, actually I, I did think about that and i think the reason the, the the national guard people leave them all their guns and ammo is the I guess the idea is they're planning for the future. So if these people continue to survive and get more resources, they can just rob them again. Exactly. <laughs> um, and also, like when they go to, um, I called the duh house. That was in my notes. Um, the when they're gonna go and look for like the little brother and the PlayStation <laughs> and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's like the they set it up so obviously like oh, my brother would be here and my mom would sit here and, like, you see the car and, like, all the shit's on the floor in the garage. It's like, you know what's going to happen. And she's looking around and it's like, boom, zombie kid. And it's like, there's just, for all the gassing up of that, which is the wrong thing to do because you're hinting at it way too much. It's overhinted at. And then it happens and then, like, it's it's there's just nothing going on there. I mean, it's kind of cool when the teacher hits it with the with the bow and arrow. Um, but again, it's just like so just dull, just very weak and limp. And well, in this movie's favor, though, there's some amazing gore effects. Yeah, you know, there's still yeah. there is some there's some real blood. There's some digital blood. They're editing around the digital blood so that you don't notice that it's that it looks horrendous. Um, I, I particularly loved that scene where like they break the bottle of acid over the one zombie's head and you see the top of his head slowly dissolve. 
that was that, cool. That effect really grew on me. I thought that was pretty effective. Yeah, that one stuck with me too, and the defibrillator scene. Oh yeah, the defibrillator on the zombie's yeah. head, and then the eyes explode. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was cool. Um, you, you get a good scene, a good kill, I think, near the end where um, this kind of SWAT team. It, it, it's a vignette, I guess, by itself again, but that, that he's watching on the computer. But the SWAT team goes into this place, shoots a zombie, and then you see the gun is going through the back of the zombie's head as he shoots another oh, one. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a that quick cool. cut, but that one I think worked. Also, I think because of when this was made, the, the CG blood has gotten much better than it was in parts of, say, Land of the Dead. Yeah. So, and, so that uh, was nice. So this all. So when they when they fail to to hook up with that one girl's family because they're all zombies, uh, they certainly can't drive to Texas. Uh, they go the 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 guy who played the mummy in the opening scene he left early, and so they decide to go to his place. And turns out his place is a mansion. His his family is loaded, uh, and he is in fact still there. He's been hiding out in the panic room, still in his mummy costume for reasons that are never quite explained. Yeah. But, you know, he immediately is glad his friends are there. He's like, hey, you need food, you need drinks, help yourself. We got six bathrooms, you want a bath? Like, he's trying to be, like, he's happy his friends survived. He's having, he's he's a host. But you can tell he's been through some shit because, like, they keep asking, well, where are your parents? And, and you know, he, he, he keeps dodging around the issue, strangely enough. And, of course, it turns out that, you know, his parents turned and then their servants turned. And he basically rounded everybody up and threw them in a pool. Which is it leads to an amazing scene where they go into the pool house and you see like all the zombies just kind of like floating at the bottom of the pool. But then, but then I was kind of disappointed because later in the movie they just crawl out of the pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what, what kept them in there until it was dramatically appropriate? Maybe oh, they course, haven't turned yet. I don't know. Or maybe they didn't smell fresh flesh, human flesh that yeah. wasn't zombie flesh. Right. He was still turned, he you know, he hadn't turned yet himself. He stupidly, he's still wearing like that mummy makeup from the film at the beginning, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I... Well, I can only assume he's been through enough trauma that like it never occurred to him to change because he's just been right. in the panic room since then. Mm. Uh, and and but yeah, it turns out he he was bitten and he is starting to turn. The one thing that was kind of strange with the panic room, though, is the panic room. They're always letting you know where security cameras are in this movie, which I thought was a really nice touch. And the the mansion is bristling with security cameras, and he has access to the security cameras in the safe room, and yet he didn't know his friends had come into his house. So yeah, I guess he was the, doing something in there. Yeah, and the door is left wide open, so you're kind of waiting for, you know, a zombie to, like, come from out from the corner or something like that. And you can tell, like, something's up. Like you said, Thrasher, he's a little squirrely, and he's kind of, off and this you know something's going on with this kid running diagnostics in three two men like that is a podcast good so far that really sucks oh no shut her down no, shut her down they thought they could make something funny they can't do anything they can't abort mission listen to men like that matt i've got a great idea for a podcast you and me we watch movies right and some of them are kind of bad and so we make fun of them but maybe some of them are good chris that's a great idea. Let's do it. And eat snacks. Movie Fighters, an original idea on the Greenlit Podcast Network. It was just funny, though, that the zombies in the pool, I was like, like you said, it's a very cool, evocative image. Um, mm-hmm. and an interesting way to, you know, contain the undead, you know, because it's like his family probably doesn't want to shoot him in the head or anything. Um, but then when they just kind of get out of the pool, yeah, it's just kind of... You know, like, can they smell through water? I don't know. Do they smell? Like, they work on a GPS? I don't know. But, um, yeah, the panic room doesn't really come into, um, doesn't really come into the, the story literally either. I thought that would be like a kind of a big, you know, big moment there where the panic room comes in handy, but, uh, just another bleh, bullet point. But you know, but this is you know where things come to a head. The zombies crawl out of the pool, assault the assault the mansion guy. The zombie, the zombie mummy, you know, chases the girl from Texas, and we get that whole Chekhov's thing where she trips on her shoes, the boobs come out, uh, gets attacked by the monster. Uh, you know, peep, uh, the guy gets attacked in the in the bath. I did, I actually did like it when when the guy who is just coming out of the bath gets attacked by the mummy zombie, 
and they both fall in, and he's drying his hair with a hair dryer, and the hair dryer goes in the bath with them. Electrocuted. And they both get electrocuted. And just the fact that that is shown through a security camera, which raises some disturbing questions, because that security camera's in a bedroom. True. um, (laughs) And can see into a bath. Uh, but but at this, maybe they're a family of perverts. Who knows? But yeah. just like that was so, it was a great scene. But it was like just a perfect bit of comedy. Just the fact that it happened in the back of the frame of that one security camera. Of course, they of course the the guy who was electrocuted comes back as a zombie too. Because we learn electricity through a zombie's brain will not kill it; it will only stun it. So I like that that yeah. comes back here. Uh, and right. then finally, you know, there's you know the guy who's been filming things dies. Uh, so his girlfriend, you know, goes off with a camera and decides to continue filming and uploading video. And it's a weird image that it ends on because it ends where where she's looking at YouTube footage of some rednecks shooting zombies. And, you know, at first I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like the end of the first film. We're getting kind of an echo of that. But then they have a zombie woman tied up by her hair. And, like, they shoot her in the face so that, like, her body falls down. You just have, like, the eyes and the top of the head just swinging from a tree. And that just seemed that seemed like that was just a gruesome image to be there just to be there. I felt like it didn't truly reflect on or encapsulate anything else in the film. All the narration from the kind of one of the main characters, Deborah, right, is... Uh throughout the film is just overwrought several times in the film. And I mean, granted, this is supposed to be like a film made by amateurs that you're watching, which I guess you can maybe excuse some of the sloppiness for that if you really want to get into the weeds. But you'll see like flashbacks of just what happened, recaps of just what happened right after you see what's happening. Like that happens maybe five or six times in the film. And at the end, there's that shot of the, uh, just that the top of the the bloody female uh, zombie had the hit saving and it's like here's the theme you idiots like <laughs> and anytime i hear the narration like it is so not needed and overwrought and all the all oh, the dialogue yeah. between deborah and jason and it's like oh you just want to look through your camera but you don't see what's happening oh, in real life man that was horrible it's were, so like... much of it especially in the first half Oh, oh yeah, they take the camera and they're like, how do you like it, man? How do you like it when you're on the other, you know? Like, state your name. It's like, oh, God, we uh, that was like the worst scene of the Blair Witch Project, you know, when he's like, <laughs> how do you like it? And Tim's like, it's all I have. Um, and then they just dredge that up. Um, and the narration, too, again, it hints at, like, what's going to happen. She's like, I didn't know if I should leave this in, but I thought everyone should see. It's like, oh, God, oh, that, <laughs> you're that, killing that. me. That is exactly what I wanted to talk about. That that whole run of I I didn't know if I should leave this in. I wanted everybody to right. see, you know, because because you know we didn't know what was going to happen. And then immediately when she starts talking, stops talking, the zombie kid jumps out and, right. and attacks somebody. And again, that is more of a comedy setup than yeah, exactly than a, a drama setup. It's but, right up there, like the shot in the nuts or something like that. <laughs> and at this point, I do need I need to. This is the one thing in the movie that I did not buy at all. And it really hurt the beginning of the film. And that is, these are all film students. Uh, Maybe one of them is a dramatic arts student, but presumably these are all film students. And yet none of them want to be on camera. Now, as somebody who went to a school with a very robust film department, had a lot of friends in the film department, and who went for a minor in film... No, we want to be front and front of and behind the camera all the time. What? You're filming a student film by the fountain? Yes, I'm there. You don't even have to ask me. I didn't buy that at all. (laughs) Right. No one wants to be behind or in front of the camera. And also, nobody talks about movies the entire time. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's a great point anything like oh you know no one says like oh remember that scene in poltergeist or remember that scene in blah 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 nobody i mean before after during school or film school community college with film classes all we did was talk about movies all i talk about is movies this is what we're doing right now talking about movies and no one references a single thing or you know no one references a single director or anything like that and granted yeah it's an epidemic whatever but like come on i'm a bit surprised there wasn't uh a grown worthy line in here where it's like, 
what is this, some kind of Living Dead movie or something? <laughs> I know. Well, well, again, as far as we know, this takes place in a world where George Romero never had a film career. I get, although George Romero does cameo as like a police captain. Yeah, and there's a well, lot not, of voice cameos too. But yeah, Quentin there's Tarantino, like, Wes Craven, Guillermo del Toro, Simon Pegg, and Stephen King all do newscaster voices. None of which I could pick up. So maybe they're doing accents, or it, they also overlapped a lot with each other. Well, funnily enough, there was a moment in the scene where I'm like, "Huh, that newscaster." I did actually think, "Huh, that newscaster kind of sounds like Tarantino." That oh. must be a joke. Like, because these right. are film people. But no, it turns out it was Tarantino's voice. <laughs> but yeah, the um, the framing device and everything with the, 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 the zombie head um, eyes, like, it's a cool visual, but, like, it doesn't really punctuate anything. Like, if it was, like, you know, established that, like, this, the, like, she was, like, the watcher of this whole thing, that, that would have had, a, that would have had a good, you know, punch to it, but it you just what, didn't. You know what it should have been? That intro? That we right. saw, we should have, when we first saw it, we should have seen the cut of that that was on the news as a news broadcast. But then, oh, and the then end, later seen we the should have seen the raw footage. Yeah. That's yeah. how it should have been. That should have been the bookend. Right. Exactly. That would have been awesome. Or you and, could even um, tie it in more where they're watching the, the clip as they're flipping through things on YouTube and maybe one of the characters, it's like their aunt or their uncle is one of the bodies in the background. They could do right. something to relate it more instead of feeling as kind of random as it does. Uh, there's that one kind of beat near the end of the movie where the the woman that's from Texas steals the uh, van and just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> what did she say? She goes, uh, you can keep the house. I could pick a heart or something like that. Right. And then later she has the line, don't mess with Texas. She yeah, she's Texas zombie. again. Yeah. So, so maybe that's some thinly veiled criticism of George W. Bush. I don't know. You, you need to. Well, you know, that's the thing is they, they, there's a lot of Katrina footage in this movie. Yes. Yeah, mm. that's true. Sure. Um, and also there was another scene, too, which I thought was funny, where the kid's like explaining how like editing works. He's like, see, like how I cut in this scene that. and then get the double. I know. I was like, you know what a match mean? cut is. This is called a reverse yeah. shot. Right. It was if like you own a movie book. that does even more of that, watch um oh watch I, I believe it's it's either Disclosure or Rising Sun, one of those two Michael Crichton oh, movies. The book in particular has thirty pages of explaining what video editing on computers is. Oh my so goodness. you see with computers they can manipulate footage. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that was um, that was clunky and wholly unnecessary. Speaking um, of clunky, I'm giving Diary of the Dead sequel. No, this movie <laughs> is, is not. It's not unwatchable. There's some okay ideas, but much like um, that RoboCop remake from a few years ago that we talked about, Thrasher on this show, it, it's like that. Some of the side stories are more interesting than the main thing. Some of the cutaway storylines. Or more interesting than the main story. It's just other than the professor and the Amish dude and 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 maybe the, the group of the black militants, not not militants, but you know they have their setup with the, they have the power now, as as they say, which is a cool line, as he said. Um, yeah, I mean this movie is just kind of a waste of your time. It looks cheap. It's, it's I, I just felt sorry for Romero. I'm like, really, this is what you're doing? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with a sequel, no. <laughs> uh, just just very, um, it's just kind of hard to watch. A lot of squandered opportunities and um, the structures just kind of, uh, the structures are very consistent. The characters are thoroughly unengaging or flat out just uninteresting. And um, yeah, now there's only a few flickers of, of the Romero brilliance shining through but yeah sequel now i'm gonna be the ebert i'm gonna give this a sequel yes mm. because d despite the fact that no i think i think this movie doesn't know what it wants to be i was still very intrigued throughout and i still want to see where this could go i'm so i'm gonna give it a very very mild sequel yes but that being said you probably should only see this movie if you are an absolute completist and want to see all of romero's stuff yeah, this has got the four fans only 
stamp. <laughs> the the <laughs> handful of things I yeah. liked in this movie, I really liked. So. Right. <laughs> I just want to say I, I'm looking at George Romero's filmography the last two decades of, of his career. And uh, in the 90s, he only did two films, one of which was co-directed by Argento, Two Evil Eyes. And the Stephen King film. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Um, and the Stephen King film, The Dark Half which was actually filmed in the late 80s, I think, and got delayed by several years because of Orion Pictures going bankrupt. Um, and in 2000, he did Bruiser, which was you know, basically direct-to-video. People didn't really see that. And then he did Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead within a, a five-year period, 2005 yeah. to 2009. Yeah, I think the renewed interest in the zombie genres really had, had a lot to do with fueling. Last, Ironically, uh, a remake of one of his own movies helped get financing for him to do a zombie movie. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Only in Hollywood. More like Holly weird. Uh, okay. More like so, Holly crazy. Oh, <laughs> so let's do uh, pitch a sequel. I I would think you know if this was Diary of the Dead, I would do one focused on the Amish character called Dairy of the Dead. And, and I he, made that joke. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When when the title card came up, I said, "Ooh, Dairy of the Dead," and uh... <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been a good like a uh, Ben and Jerry's tie-in ice cream flavor. You know, that's the kind of Ooh. thing that would come. Dairy of the Dead with uh, chocolate zombie nuggets with a, a mint cream interior. Uh, <laughs> and uh, maybe like a, a red raspberry blood ribbon throughout the, throughout the uh, living dates and it's got like chopped up dates in it. White chocolate bones. <laughs> oh, yeah, like one of those breakfast cereals. Uh <laughs> But yeah, so so Dairy of the Dead would would be a prequel focusing on uh, Samuel, the the Amish man, and he originally he starts noticing the the zombie epidemic happening with his cows, and yet this is how he makes his money. He's a he's a cheesemonger. He 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 raises cheese and then he sells it. Uh, he delivers it via horse horse and cart downtown and and everything in the country, and and he gets all. Uh, so you get some zombie cow uh, comedy, comedy, if you will, stuff going on. And you you learn kind of he has a family. And the reason why he's deaf is is not that he was born deaf or was deaf all his life, but it's a form of trauma he has. Sort of like the, uh, uh, the woman from the original Night of the Living Dead, where she's rendered mute by, by the horrors that they've seen. And, um, and it would end... With a scene from Diary of the Dead, from that scene with Diary of the Dead, when they, uh, you get a replay of the scene with the dynamite, and he holds up the, the card saying "I am Samuel," and then it's just hard cut to black. <laughs> I like the hard cut. Yeah, the hard cut always is a, hard cut to credits, always works. Uh, Thrasher. All right, so mine, uh, <laughs> mine is going to be Dom of the Dead. And so the premise, ah. the premise is it's also going to be sort of a concurrent slash prequel to this movie. So my premise is the guy, the guy who played the mummy, his family are a bunch of perverts, and they have these elaborate sex parties with other local rich perverts uh, in this house. And of course, it's all filmed uh, on all those cameras they have in the bedrooms, which is uh, yet again another one of those kinks. In fact, the safe room turns out it's not even a safe room at all. It's just a room people go into to watch videos. Of the orgies and other things, and just and you know, uh, disgrace themselves uh, uh, upon themselves, uh, and so and it's going to be a bit more comical in tone as you know the orgy kind of kind of goes weird when the zombies show up, especially when there's a per well there's going to be a person who's got a vampire fetish and a person who has like a cutting fetish, and so when the zombies first start showing up, everyone assumes, oh, this is this must be their kink, is stumbling around and not talking. Uh, and so, like, zombies end up getting pulled into the love play and whatnot in some various <laughs> comical and gross things. And then by the time they realize it's zombies, it's too late. There's a crazy zombie massacre. We see that when his parents and servants got bit, the servants weren't like maids and butlers. They were the subs. <laughs> We're at the party. Those are the servants. Um, and so, yeah, so he, the the mummy kid's going to arrive at the very end, just as like the last, and he's going to see the last people get turned into zombies. So the end of the movie is going to be him 
uh, dumping the zombies uh, into the pool, shooting them or chasing them off. Uh, and the last shot of the movie is going to be a bunch of zombies in leather, like with whips and handcuffs, like walking down a road. So is the poster going to say, the only zombie movie that will make you ball gag? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's great. Uh, I, I would think, you know, like maybe like the dead will punish the living. <laughs> oh, sure. Maybe as, 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 a, of as a poster, you have like a rotted zombie arm holding a cat of nine tails. Uh, oh, that's perfect. And like up a shriek with a leather battle. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Or maybe like you, you have these extreme close-ups of like, uh, these these different uh, accoutrements with like blood splattered or dripping off the the the, the edges of them or whatever. <laughs> it's a real upstairs downstairs affair. Monsters is having one of his affairs. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> speaking, Hello. Speak, speaking of cock, you'll see quite a lot of that in this picture. Oh. <laughs> 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 you could not sound less like Hitchcock. <laughs> it's a hard one. I'm <laughs> going to film this in in one continuous take. There'll be three edits, but they'll be hidden. <laughs> it's you? called rope. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, okay, man. Alex. Oh, um, so this one is going to be called um, Deer diary of the dead where they um, find various diaries written from the point of view of dead people as read by uh, Tilda Swinton so it'll be like dear diary as I felt my skin tighten I realized I was no longer alive the plush interior of my coffin so lovely the smell of formaldehyde still lingers though dear diary it's my second day as a dead person and so on and so forth and it's just not that interesting but it would be slightly more interesting than diary of the dead well it's it's funny you mention that all i can think of it's like it's like a, a ken burns documentary it's panning over photos of like all the corpses and like <laughs> dearest elizabeth today i rose from my coffin <laughs> i was consumed by a need to devour the flesh of the living such is life <laughs> Oh, we need to. Oh, no. This ceaseless conflict will one day end. <laughs> Someday I will walk again. Jenny. All right. So, on to what you're watching. I saw a movie that um, was featured that was made for Hulu, uh, starring Andy Samberg. It is Palm Springs. Mm a sort of romantic comedy mixed with the uh, Groundhog Day, which I guess Groundhog Day was a romantic comedy. But the idea is uh, Andy Samberg is this guy who's at his friend's uh, wedding, and he realizes uh, that he just keeps on waking up and reliving that day over and over again. It um, goes for kind of more of a science fiction angle than something like Groundhog Day, but there is similarities. It, it's more of a broad comedy. And the uh, the main um, female lead in it is Kristen Malati, who I've never seen before, but she's pretty good. Uh, I guess she was in uh, had a small part in Wolf of Wall Street and was in the second season of Fargo, the TV series. Uh, J.K. Simmons has a supporting part that's funny. You know, it's not going to knock your socks off. This was made for five million dollars, but this was a it's a light kind of summer comedy that is uh it was nice to see something kind of light and fluffy like this there were some more dramatic moments that kind of surprised me but i think overall it's uh it does enough with that time loop uh kind of well-worn trope that it that it's worth the watch like not like pretty good not great but you you could do worse which one was this again palm springs palm springs it's on hulu oh, and one of the production oh, companies cool. is uh, Lonely Island, and funnily enough, uh, their production company is called Lonely Island Classics, and it's in the same font as Sony Classics. <laughs> Interesting. And unfortunately, Sony Classics is no longer around. That was kind of their Oscar bait, low-budget uh, label. 
Yeah, they would uh, they would release some foreign flicks under the the Sony Classics. You're right. Monitor. Yep. Yeah. I did that too. Um, Alex, what's something you've been watching? Um, recently, in lieu of the uh, Criterion sale, I got Koroneku, or Kor- Koru Um Have you guys heard of this? No. Uh, it's a really cool samurai uh, ghost story flick where um, these uh, two women are left alone during the um, uh, Sengoku period, and um, the, these uh, you know soldiers come through and you know rape and kill everyone and burn the house down. So they come back as vengeful spirits to exact revenge on you know basically all the samurai responsible for it. And it turns out that um, the son and wife of the two women are part of the are, is like a distant branch of the brigade re- responsible for the death of his wife and mother. So as they're exacting revenge, you know this guy comes back from the war as a total badass. So they're like, you have to catch these demons or monsters who whoever these people are killing everyone. And it turns out that it's his mother and and former wife. So we have this kind of like fatalistic mystical love story slash like cool spooky uh you know from beyond the grave revenge flick so uh very cool stuff cool and do they have any good uh, extras on there uh there's some interviews and stuff yeah they always have pretty good solid um interviews it's by uh kaneto shindo who did a oni baba that's another good um Mm. japanese horror flick from the 60s that Which actually, impressive. yeah, that one I would actually say is a little stronger than Karneku, but it's they're both equally pretty great. I think one of my favorite odd Criterion special features, which I guess could be its own bonus episode, is uh, Rashomon had a rare, um, I think like 1960s English dub. Oh, no way. I didn't know there was a dub of that. It's very strange. And that is an older dub, too, I think makes it more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Check Thrasher. I saw two documentaries that couldn't have less to do with each other, unless you think about it. Uh, I I uh, rewatched, I, I uh, re action. I was a rewatch for both of them. I rewatched uh, Yodorowski's Dune and What's Up Doc: A Salute to Bugs Bunny. Oh, oh, okay. What's up, Doc? Is that that's for the 80th anniversary of Bugs Bunny? No, that was for the 50th anniversary from. Oh, I see. Uh, there, there's a newer documentary, I guess, for the 80th anniversary of. Uh... I don't know if it's Bugs Bunny or Warner Brothers cartoons, but there's a big set coming out. Oh, I got to track that down then. It, it's not, it comes out later this year. It has only 60 cartoons, but some of which I don't think have been released uh, in a long time. Kind of cherry picking throughout the chronology. Okay, so, I mean, uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, I thought was... Uh, well, how did you feel about it? Because it really covers quite a lot of different things. Oh no, it's 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 uh, it's a documentary I absolutely love, uh, and and it's <clears throat> it's it's one of those movies that was never made, which I do find endlessly fascinating. And there is there's sort of I, I guess there's like a beautiful hubris to everything Yodorowsky does, but unlike so much hubris, it's not like it's not toxic or self-destructive. Like the the idea that he was going to make an adaptation of Dune without ever having read the book. <laughs> he's he's such a strange guy that I can I can see oh I guess that might work if he does it if anyone like whenever anyone else adapts something that they aren't that invested in it always comes out as a disaster and of course even if he had made his movie maybe it would have been a disaster but it would have been a glorious <laughs> disaster right <laughs> hmm. and I also just like uh, and just like little little things like clearly there's some tension between him and his son uh when you well, go because into he, like... he made his son was going to play the part of paul and put him through this barbaric uh kind of workout diet regimen to have a perfect human body but also he had to learn like fencing judo aikido oh, yes. and all these and, and like he hired like an olympic athlete to teach him and for like was it like close to six years <laughs> he had to go through this brutal Sick. training regimen yeah, and like there's there's one interview where he and his son are both in the same room, and if you'll notice, his son never looks on the side of the room that is that Yodorowsky is on. Uh, <laughs> like I feel like there's got to be some unresolved tension there, but but that's just like oh, yeah. that's like the fascinating. There's so much stuff going on off the screen in this documentary. It's amazing, and like it's so much of it is about struggle, but then like he met Mick Jagger at a party and was like, I want you to be in my movie. And Mick Jagger just said, without even asking what the movie was, yes, I'll do it. 
(laughs) (laughs) The one moment there's no struggle. Yeah, Mike Yodorowsky, he he kind of courted a lot of interesting people like in the 60s. Like he was uh, chummy with like Dennis Hopper, um, uh, Mick Jagger, uh, John Lennon, like all these. What's that? Oh, Andy Warhol. Yeah, like tons of people uh, from all over the place. Um, Because his movies were pretty crazy for the time. El Topo and Fando Elise and uh, Holy Mountain. Um, Wild stuff. Yeah. And, the, and then the other thing that was interesting about this rewatch, so between when I first watched this and now, I finally had read the uh, the original uh, the original uh, Meta Barons comic, which was a comic book Yodorowsky mm. wrote um, that he did that that was basically a dumping ground for all of his ideas for Dune that he couldn't do. Uh, and so all these things referenced in the documentary show up in this comic series. And it really is fascinating to see his execution and how how that comic how that comic keeps diverting into these weird cosmic vistas almost for no reason before eventually coming back to the narrative. Well, that's uh, the thing I took away from watching it is is they talk over and over again about all the, all these storyboards, and I would love to see that published as like a deluxe like hardcover hundred dollar. Uh, mm. Okay. Well, that's that's something that they do show time and again is mm-hmm. you know, the infamous Dune book that he had gathered all his material, including the full storyboards, into these books, which they sent to different studios, distributors, and producers to get to get funding and distribution for the movie. And that some copies are apparently supposedly lost. The most, according to the documentary, there's only two. I bet mm. there's more, but they're probably in somebody's vault or personal collection. But that book is so fascinating. I am shocked that nobody's just tried to publish it. I would totally buy right. that. I'm sure oh, yeah, you'd have to awesome. negotiate with with the Herbert estate, but it would be so worth it. I would pay a hundred bucks for that book. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, the um, there's a part of the documentary. It certainly, I think, they expand on it in kind of the deleted scenes that just kind of shows like the concept art and then how much it's been ripped off or used directly in other films. Well, that's the fascinating thing is that the, this murderous row of young talent that he assembled, they all went on to work on other iconic movies. They all worked on alien or star Wars or, yeah. or all of these things that are still with us now. Yeah. It's wild. Like even like concept art, like unshot concept art from like um, AI pops up in like Blade Runner 2049. Like you can see mm-hmm. some images that are like very direct um it's wild how all this stuff you know kind of scatters out throughout cinema as they said all the big guys all the big studios in hollywood had a copy of this book with the the concept yeah. art and the storyboards and, and everything so true um yeah i mean so we'll, we'll see i mean I'm, I'm shocked that it is july we have not seen a trailer for the new dune movie although i guess yeah. as of this time of recording i don't think it'll come out this year so they seem to want to put it in theaters but yet, Bill yeah. and Ted Three is coming out direct to digital. Oh, that new trailer is great. It is. Yeah, yeah it is. You, get, you get more of the story. Awesome. So <laughs> we need to be uh, wrapping up here, I believe. So um, yeah, you can follow. Um, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcast. Just look up the show Sequelcast Two and Friends. And you can follow sh- the show on Twitter uh, at Sequelcast Two or go to SequelcastTwo.com. You can follow me on Twitter at matwbt uh, Thrasher. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And you can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. How could I forget we had the scene, Thrasher? Uh yeah, so this is a scene. This is one of those this is one of those pretentious dialogue scenes that they have uh, after witnessing some horror. So we've got Andrew, Deborah, and Tony uh, in this scene. Who do you all want to play? I would like to play Andrew Maxwell as the professor, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I can do that. I'll be Tony. I'll do Deborah. Okay. Morning approaches. Things always look better in the morning. Not to me. Morning's bright light. I prefer darkness. It's easier to hide in the dark. You know, Professor, I, I actually get the mornings. They show you for what you are instead of what you think you are. Inelegantly phrased, Mr. Ravello, but accurately put. Mornings are mi- <laughs> mornings and mirrors. I despise them. Mornings and mirrors only serve to terrify old men. 
I was certainly mourning after watching Diary of the Dead. <laughs> okay. So for Sequel Cast 2, uh, next time we'll be talking about Survival of the Dead. Uh, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. <laughs> this is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Saying, who's going to believe a mummy? Good morning, dead. They did dawn, day, and night. It should be morning of the dead. That's all I'm saying. Afternoon, brunch. I can't <laughs> wait to go in your house and play your Sony PlayStation. Hopefully, Hopefully they have a Nintendo, too. Sonic <laughs> Mario Brothers is my favorite. Maybe there's, maybe there's a DVD of the Panic Room in the Panic Room. Now that you got a six, uh, six toilets in there, I can do a Crash Bandipoop. Ha 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 ha!